What's up? It's episode 87, Pain Points of Wealth, and the S&P 500 has had the worst start of the year since 1970, and there's a lot to be concerned about. We've got war in Eastern Europe. We've got interest rates going up. We have inflation, the highest in literally 40 years. In addition to that, we have China and somewhat of a lockdown. We've got commodity prices starting to come down. What does it all mean? Well, we're going to break it down today. We're going to tell you exactly what we think about the economy, the market, and we're going to talk about a bear market survival guide. Markets are down over 20%. Do you have what it takes to survive this bear market? We're going to give you our playbook. Check it out. We got a great show. Welcome to the Pain Points of Wealth, the podcast that addresses the pain points that come with creating, growing, and sustaining your wealth, giving you a multi-generational perspective from three pains in a pod, Bob Payne, the boomer, Chris Payne, the millennial, and Ryan Payne, the generation somewhere in between. Hey guys, the only thing certain about this market is the uncertainty, right? We do have recession fears, inflation hysteria, interest rate concerns. Got a Federal Reserve that told us that, you know, the inflation rate was transitory. Now they're telling us, oh, we can figure it out. We'll tell you when it's done going up and we'll be able to give you a nice soft landing. Sounds like we're going to have a real bumpy landing to me. But the point is, when you get markets that go down this quickly and this hard, generally there's a snapback rally at some point and you don't want to be on the sidelines when that happens. Well, it's a good point. And the way that markets work, you know, we talk about this a lot as they're forward looking, is the market's going to recover most likely way before the news gets better. And I think that's always the mentality. Like, let me just wait and see. Are we in a recession yet? Let's get some clarity. Clarity is not your friend when it comes to investing. When the uncertainty is high and we have no idea what's going to go on, and Bob, I'm just going to steal your, one of your most famous lines, you can't get good prices with good news. So this bad news is a huge advantage as you're trying to allocate capital right now. You've got to embrace the uncertainty. Well, speaking of that, Ry, you know, I'm getting a lot of that feedback from our clients right now. You know, they're saying, hey, let's get out now. And then just right as the market's going back up, we'll catch that trend. You know, we'll catch the train, the subway train as it's speeding past at 80 miles an hour. Well, let's say, Chris, I was lucky enough or fortunate enough or guessed well enough to take you out of the market on January 4th. Uh, this year, right, was only the beginning of this year that we were at an all-time record high in the S&P 500. So when would you get back in? I mean, if I had taken you out in January, I would be in reinvesting your money right now. Yeah, right. And people are going to say, no, whoa, 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 not yet, not yet. Let's just wait for some clarity. And it goes back to, Bob, what you say a lot. It's like when you get out of the market, you don't have to be right once. You've got to be right twice. And man, oh man, I'll tell you what, in general, I'd rather be lucky than good. I'm not sure I could be right twice, time it perfectly. And odds are you probably can't either. That's why it's critical right now as we're in the belly of the beast and we really are in the belly of the beast that you start thinking about what's the future going to look like? Because that's what the market's going to start looking at is once we get past all this rhetoric about, you know, the recession that we may or may not happen, because we don't even know if it's really going to happen. You know, what's the economy going to look like in 24 months? Well, you know, if you look at some of the underlying data, it's probably going to be pretty good. You know, guys, what I'm starting to see, and I've mentioned this a couple of times on the last couple of podcasts, you're seeing some of the commodities, some of the key commodities like copper, you know, starting to roll over. Lumber. I mean, remember lumber was up like 300% in a couple of months. It's like straight down right now. Oil even dropped last week and natural gas is coming down. So, you know, you can't just go by what the Federal Reserve says. Obviously, they're wrong a lot. But I think Jerome Powell's doing a pretty good job of trying to manage a soft landing, what I think will be a bumpy landing. 
it just it's kind of is in a tricky position right now. But I think the markets are doing a lot of the work for him already. We're getting that price adjustment, which is what the Fed wants to see. Remember, they're trying to cool down a red hot economy. They just have their foot on the brake a little bit right now. You know, they're not driving us off the road. At least I don't think we are. Bob, how dare you say the Fed's doing a good job? That's like a curse word right now to say the Fed's doing a good job. It's a good point, right? The headlines are, well, the Fed doesn't know what they're doing. They're behind the eight ball. They're going to screw everything up. But the reality of it is they've been signaling what they're going to do for the last couple of months. And to your point, we're starting to see prices come down. I mean, everyone's talking about the housing market. Oh, my God, the housing market's going to fall off a cliff. It's probably not, right? If prices come down a little bit, that's good. Prices have gotten outrageous. You know, think about your wherever you live in the country. I am here in New York City. You're getting to a point where these prices are probably not sustainable. If they come down a little bit, there's a lot of demand behind that because there's a lot of millennials right now, cohort of like 70, 80 million people that are starting families. They're going to want homes. That demand's going to last a long, long time. These are great long-term fundamentals for the economy. You know, Ryan, I saw you on national TV the other day talking about the millennials, and I can't believe these commentators, they still think the millennials are living in the basement, you know, on their parents' sofa. Hey, wait, isn't Chris living on the sofa? I'm confused. Does he have his own apartment yet? I am trying to save rent. You know, I do practice and preach to my clients that they should save money wherever possible. So I thought the best way to do that was to move in with mom and dad. Well, that's why I sold my home, and I now have two homes without basements. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the other thing to think about millennials now, the oldest millennial is 42, right? They're not kids anymore. They are starting households, and you know, it's likened to the baby boomers back in the 1980s. So I think the fact that prices are coming down, right? it's not they're falling off a cliff, but moderating prices is what we want, and that's exactly what we're seeing. So I think the headlines are pretty much giving a very deceiving view of what's actually happening in the economy. Like When you hear prices are coming down, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Well, the whole thing comes down to we're all average, normal human beings. We tend to project the future based on our most recent experience. So now that the market's in bear market territory, everybody assumes it's going to go down another 20%. The problem is if you sell right now, you've got to pay capital gains tax because most of our portfolios have huge embedded capital gains because we've been in a big booming bull market. So you're going to pay 20% in tax. What's the difference between paying 20% in tax and losing 20% in value? The only difference is it makes it real. Yeah. The IRS doesn't give your money back. Exactly. It's like the Hotel California, right, Dad? You can check it in, but it can never leave. Well, that's the other thing too, right? It's when we're in a dire situation, like right now, and the news is really bad, the market's down 20%. All of a sudden, magically, these Wall Street strategists are saying, guess what? Market's going to go down another 20%. And all the fear mongers are out there. I mean, this happened during the pandemic as well. When we were talking about GDP growth was going to fall off a cliff. And then every financial house was just falling over themselves to say that the number is going to be worse and worse and worse. And that's how we invest, right? We extrapolate our most recent experience because if we think the market went down, or the stock, S&P rather, not all markets are down 20%. It went down 20%. It must go down another 20%. But that's not the case. Probably, and I could be wrong here, we probably have seen most of the downside move here. We may get a little bit more, but the magnitude, we've probably already seen the, the crux of the move done. Well, that kind of reminds me of a quote from Charlie Munger. He said, if people weren't so often wrong, we wouldn't be rich. You know, guys, as we often say that the, you know, the markets often rhyme, they don't always repeat. I remember back in 1994, you know, which seems like the other day to me, but I'm sure it seems like a long time ago for you. We had a similar market where stocks went down, bonds went down, everything went down, right? It was just one of these markets where everything sold off, not just for one month, but for 12 straight months. And Merrill Lynch, where I used to work, in her infinite wisdom, decided since we had done so well for our clients in the late 80s, early 90s, that they should illustrate you know, the performance of the portfolio on the front page of their statement every month. And they did it in kind of like a staircase. 
So after 12 months of everything going down, you had this descending staircase, you know, on your statement. And, you know, my clients who never paid attention to their statements, they're suddenly calling me out going, Bob, you know, I never, ever read my statement, but this new design, you know, kind of shows me that maybe perhaps we're circling the drain when it comes to our investments. I mean, is this ever going to go up again? So it always feels dire, you know, while it's going down and you see, you know, your statement month after month. But this is where the real opportunities are. This is where you really make the most money in your portfolio is when you buy in bear markets, right? So you have dividends coming in, reinvest them, do tax swaps, make sure your portfolio is balanced. You get that cash reserve you've been sitting on for a while. It's probably a lot larger than it used to be. And you should deploy some of that money when PE ratios are low, opportunities greatest. And when you buy low, you tend to make a lot of money. Hey, hope you're enjoying episode 87, Pain Points of Wealth. We have almost 100,000 downloads. Thank you for the support. If you like our content, love our content, love our podcast, give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Subscribe on Spotify. If this is on YouTube right now, please give us a like. You can subscribe. Click that notification bell. You can be updated every week of all our new content. Your support gives us the ability to continue to do this podcast. Thank you for the support. Give us a like. Give us a five-star rating. Leave us a comment, and we appreciate you. All right, it's the tipping point. This is where we pinpoint the pain point. Of course, that's P-A-Y-N-E, having the biggest impact on your wealth right now. So Bob and Chris, while it may feel prudent to take action during a bear market decline and sell out of your portfolio, in our experience, the results long-term can be disastrous. Selling when prices are down, you end up making your losses permanent and then miss the inevitable big recovery rally, which typically comes out of nowhere. Therefore, keeping your head during these extreme periods of volatility is critical to achieving your long-term financial goals. I thought we could discuss our firm's bear market survival guide. Well, I think the number one thing you should always do is reassess your portfolio allocation, especially when you're in volatile times, because we tend to let our winners run and kind of ignore our losers. And over time, you get out of balance. So if you're not constantly rebalancing your portfolio with cash flow or with you know, some type of a systematic rebalancing annually, you're most likely out of whack right now. And the market is not very forgiving, guys. It kind of reminds you when you're out of whack. Well, you know, that's true, Dad. I can think of like so many times I've been fighting that battle with our clients, you know, before this big downturn. Like, Chris, you know, our bonds aren't doing anything for us. Why do we own these commodities? Why do we own these pipelines? And I think now with the way things are going, you know, it's very clear, you know, our commodities and pipelines are holding up our portfolio. And, you know, it's kind of like those things that you do ahead of time that really make the biggest difference. And they don't seem like the right thing at the time. Yeah. Well, it's a good point because good investing is proactive, not reactive. And you're probably learning right now in real time that, oh, maybe I had too much money in technology. Maybe I had too much money in disruptive growth or I had too much money in those bond funds, those dreaded bond funds that Bob just like, you know, keeps them up at night. If you know you had bond funds in your portfolio. And I think we have to ask yourself too is, okay, do I need to reposition now? Because again, the tide is going to go back again. It's going to rise again. And you have the portfolio of the future. Because the other thing we've learned is, Whatever was hot for the last decade or whatever was the leader before a bear market tends not to be the leader after the bear market. So in other words, if you own tech now and you're hoping for it to come back, it's probably not going to be the leader next time around. So you want to reposition accordingly. Yeah, I think that's the problem is we tend to look behind as investors. You know, what has the best three-year track record? What did the best over the last 10 years? You know, what was the best thing in my portfolio? Well, typically, you know, past performance is 100% predictive of past performance. It says nothing about future performance. So you want to start looking ahead and realize that the market looks ahead. And when you have a disruptive period, a volatile period in the market, it typically means you're going to have a leadership change. So tech and growth were the leaders of the last 10 years. Chances are they won't be for the next 10 years. Maybe they will be. 
but make sure you have everything in your portfolio. You know, all weather portfolio is the only way to survive a uh, stormy market. The other big issue, guys, we see with portfolios, and we know Wall Street just loves to sell you products that you don't need, you don't want, is liquidity, right? And the question always is, when you have investments, is how quickly can I turn my investments to cash? And Wall Street's infamous for selling investments that are very hard to turn into cash, and that becomes very problematic, especially when we're in a downturn like we are right now. Well, you know my old saying, Rye, if it's illiquid, it's inappropriate. And as a matter of fact, I've got a client right now that a whole bunch of these illiquid REITs that we can't seem to get out of. And when I call to find out when the next liquidity event is, they can't seem to tell me. So access to your capital is very, very important. Liquidity is king, I would say. Yeah, I have to agree with you, Chris. My number one investment tenant is never invest in anything that is illiquid or number two has a K1 because that K1 reporting never comes out on time. Your accountant's always upset. They want to finish your tax return. They get to an amended return. And because no one can find workers, your CPA is charging more this year. So you don't want to have any K1s. So it's always best to have illiquid investments. If you have something that sounds so great and it's illiquid, I guarantee you we can find something that matches its performance and is liquid. Actually, we'll have better performance over the long term. That sounds like an annuity to me, Bob, right? And that's the problem too, right? We have a, a lot of annuities we say are not bought, they're sold. And typically when you have an annuity, income for life sounds like such a great pitch, right? Oh, I'd love to have income for life. That sounds so safe. But to get something, you typically have to give something up. And typically with an annuity, it's your principal. And losing principal in retirement, we view as always a dangerous place to be. You always want to be able to get your principal. And I think rule of thumb is the closer you are to being financially independent, or if you're financially independent, retired now, you want to have the most liquidity or access to your money possible. You know, I get it if you're in your 30s, 40s, and maybe there is like a, a real estate deal or something where it does lock your money up. Well, yeah, you've got 20 year time horizon to maybe wait for it. That's great. But when you're getting closer to that home stretch of when you're going to need your money, more liquidity, not less. Well, you know what, right? Going back to those annuities, you got to think about that income, that guaranteed income for life is not inflation adjusted. So, you know, it might be $1,000 a month today, but in future dollars, it's a heck of a lot less. Yeah, I'll tell you another good survival guide is to avoid those sexy pitches, right? I mean, I don't know what it is. Maybe Philly gets more of these scams than the rest of the country, but, you know, they had someone selling insurance settlements. That blew up. That guy's going to jail. There was another real estate investment where you could make as much as 21% a year or more. Why wouldn't you get more? All right, that guy's going to jail. So there's a lot of scams out there. Just remember, when something sounds too good to be true, it usually is. Right? You don't need to outperform the market. If you get a market return on all your financial assets in your lifetime, you're set for life. I don't know. Hey, guys, that's a pretty good goal. Set for life, sign me up. Yeah, exactly. Sign me up. And I think that's the problem is a lot of these products get pitched like you get all the upside without the risk on the downside. And we know that doesn't exist, right? I mean, there's no free lunch in investing. It's like anything else. It's like the laws of gravity. You need to get return or get a bigger return. You have to take more risk. And if someone's pitching you bigger return without more risk, there's a problem there. It doesn't correlate. I mean, this is one of the markets are efficient, right? It's one of the places, capital markets are a place where the risk you take is commensurate to the return that you can receive. Always keep that in check because if it sounds too good to be true, like you said, Bob, like that's like one of the greatest rule of thumbs of our investing strategy is it probably is. Well, you know, the other one is, you know, we want a return of your money, not just a return on your money. So in this environment where rates are still relatively low, but they're coming up, you're going to get a lot of pitches for you know, these investments that have these high, really attractive returns. You want to avoid those at all costs. I mean, 
you know, just the other day, you were able to borrow against your home at three to four percent. Why would someone have to borrow from you at 10, 11 percent? You know, it tells you that anything that has a high guaranteed income, and remember, guarantee is a word that doesn't exist in our industry. You're generally buying and investing in something that has a lot of risk, something you don't truly understand, something that won't give you a return of your money or return on your money. That's a bad combination. Well, you know, the other thing, guys, is, you know, a lot of times I find, especially talking with prospective clients, is, you know, they're obsessed with the idea of getting great dividend yields on their portfolio, and they only want to own the things that produce dividends. Well, you know, if you own just dividend-paying stocks over the last year, your portfolio underperformed. You know, that's why you need to have a mix of things in your portfolio. Yeah, that's exactly right, Chris. I mean, it's critical to diversify your income streams. You don't want it all come from the same place. You don't want to live by the sword, die by the sword. You know, Chris, like you always say, you get better outcomes with more income. Most of our portfolio went ex-dividend this week, so we're going to be reinvesting at the best prices we've had all year. So there are some benefits to bear markets. You get to buy low, you get good prices with bad news, and eventually the bad news goes away. Sun comes out, the sky's shining, and your portfolio is going to go to a new high. I just don't know when. Hey, Bob, Chris, and I now have a collective 75 years helping individuals just like you with your planning and investing. This is literally what we do every single day. Everything you hear on this podcast, along with some due diligence of your own, can help you get ahead financially literally at any stage of your journey. But if you want a more hands-on approach and you've saved over a million dollars for your financial independence plan, we will run for your total financial master plan. We'll do it with no obligation or cost. We'll do a full holistic review. There's no firm out there that will do this work up front. We will build you your own personalized financial portal. We'll give you a bird's eye view of your entire financial life, and we'll hone in on every financial issue you have. We're going to look at income. Do you have an income plan for retirement? Well, we're going to put one together for you so you don't run out of money. We're going to look at diversification and fees. A lot of your portfolios have high, high fees, and all those insurance products, annuities, mutual funds, brokerage products. We're going to show you how to reduce the cost on your portfolio, optimize it for taxes, money saved in taxes, just as green as any money you can make invested. We're going to give you our full tax playbook. And we're going to show you how to diversify your money. So not only do you grow it over time, but you protect it as well. We're going to put together a full investment game plan for you. All you need to do is go to www.paincm.com slash financial plan to see if you qualify for a free financial review. That's www.paincm.com slash financial plan. All right. It's the hidden facts of finance, random financial facts that may surprise you or even shock you. All right, Bob. U.S. federal regulators say 46,000 people have reported losing $1 billion in the crypto market in scams since January of this past year. Wow. Amazing, right? You have, you have something that's been created from nothing, it's backed by nothing, and a strategy where it's called the greatest fool theory, right? I'm going to invest in this because some fool, dumber than me, is going to buy it from me at a higher price. Sounds like a recipe for disaster. And then you put on top of that the scam artists who make this stuff up. I mean... I don't know. I heard on this podcast, Chris was pushing Bobcoin the other day. It just it never ends. Oh, no, no, no. Bobcoin has intrinsic value. We're talking about those other coins. But here's what I love about it, right? The whole concept of the crypto market is they want to decentralize and unregulate banking. You know, how many billions and billions and billions of dollars over how many, maybe hundreds of years, have we come to this place where we have regulated banking? You want that. It's almost like, hey, guys, I'm going to start a new airline, but we don't want to have any of the regulations. We don't want to have anyone looking over an oversight to make sure we're protected. So when you fly with us, there's no restrictions whatsoever. Doesn't that sound great? <laughs> All right, Chris. The average peak to trough bear market decline is 37.3% over a span of 289 days. Matching that pattern 
we'd end this pain in this bear market, no pun intended, on October 19th, 2022. The average bull market lasts as much longer, 64 months or roughly five years with 198% total return. Therefore, the next bull market in the S&P should be at 6,000 by the year 2028. That's pretty good. You know, I take from this stat is that bear markets are a lot shorter than bull markets. So I don't know what everybody else is complaining about. Just stay in. Yeah, relax. We'll be at S&P 506,000 before you know it. Enjoy the ride or try to enjoy the ride. Bob, the S&P 500 index is down over 20% for the year, which would be the worst first half since 1970. Previous years that were down at least 15% at the midway point of the year saw the final six months higher every single time with an average return of nearly 24%. Well, yeah, right. I like that stat. I mean, it's, uh, you know, goods followed by bad, you know, ups followed by down every single time. It just feels horrible when you're down 20% in six months. It just seems like it's never going to end, but we know from history that it will. I don't know that it's going to be up 24% a year from now, but I'll take those stats any day of the week. Yeah. From an odds and probability standpoint, the future looks pretty bright, gentlemen. All right, Chris, Kate Bush, thanks to Stranger Things, the series on Netflix, has broken three UK chart records with her success of Running Up That Hill, the longest gap between a number one single of any artist, 44 years, the most time of any single to reach the top of the singles chart, 37 years, the oldest female artist to hit number one at age 63. That song's just going crazy right now. Well, you know what? I guess with those kind of stats, Dad, you could have a hit single any day now. <laughs> <laughs> we should go back to the archive and see what Bob recorded back in the 80s. I think I had uh, that big hit running down the hill. <laughs> <laughs> Sadly, it was a song about the financial industry. All right, gentlemen, another great show. Hope you enjoyed episode 87, Hard to Bleed, Pain Points of Wealth. If you like our content, love our content, please give us a like, give us a five-star rating on iTunes, leave us a comment. And if you're seeing this on Spotify, you can click the subscribe button on YouTube. Click the like. You can subscribe. Click that notification bell so you can be updated every week of all our new content. That's it for this week. Stay loose and keep an open mind. Thanks for listening to The Pain Points of Wealth. Hopefully, you found the ideas discussed in this episode valuable and useful for your own financial journey. You can find out more about Bob, Brian, and Chris's firm, Payne Capital Management, at BeBullish.com or through the contact information found in the description of this episode in your podcast player or app. Join us next week for another episode of The Pain Points of Wealth, brought to you by Payne Capital Management. Information provided on today's show is provided for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed.